Welcome to the Men Are The Prize podcast. This is a safe space for men just like you to be open, vulnerable, and emotional. Every week, a new case study steps out of his comfort zone to discuss masculinity. Using the prize mantra, we discuss important aspects of being a man. This is the who, what, where, when, and how of manhood. Men are the prize podcast. Welcome back. I hope you've had a great week. I hope the month, the year, we're getting close to maybe the end of a year. And I hope everything is going well for you. I hope everything you're reaching for, striving for, all the things that you want to accomplish. I hope you're close. I hope you can see the finish line. And even if you can't, it's a journey. And as long as you keep going, you know you're going to be fine. Another great guest, Rara. I love the name. I like it. I just, I feel like I should be watching you in concert, but I love it. Rob, Rob my <laughs> guest this week. And how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. The weather is great here. I had a walk this morning. I feel energized. I'm so ready. I feel great. How are you feeling? I am well, thank you. I am in Florida. The weather is always good, aside from an occasional <laughs> storm that drops in. Some rain, but it's nice, breezy. I'm a New Yorker, so I'm, not, I'm getting used to this all the time. Okay. But I'll take the sun. Um, and if you've listened or watched this podcast, you know I love a good bio. And as usual, everyone, my guest, always has a good bio. So allow me <laughs> to get to this. Rara, his pronouns are he and him, is a queer, gay, visually impaired, cis Black man, artist, mental health advocate, a lover of house music. I see you. An mm -hmm. avid Marvel fan, both MCU and traditional comics. I see you too a clothing engineer and fashion stand, a reader, ponderer, and is passionate about medici medicinal plant magic. Mm -hmm. He received an MA in counseling for mental health and wellness from NYU Steinhardt in 2022, a BA in the psychology of race, gender, and sexuality from CUNY Baccalaureate for Unique and Interdisciplinary Studies, CUNY BA in 2017, and an AAS in menswear design from the Fashion Institute of Technology, better known as FIT, in 2007. Good bio, you've done much, and I I've hope we can lot. get into it. <laughs> so, so the reason I'm really happy and honored to have you on here is the genesis of this podcast was a space for men to speak, but in particular, Black men to talk. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit harder than I expected. I don't know if mm. hard, but I, because I know I'm a black man and I'm not just ready to just pour my soul out to everybody. So I know to a degree it was going to be somewhat difficult for men and a lot of which don't know me to just kind of talk. Mm -hmm. But when I get opportunities for black men, for successful black men to talk about anything, because in the end, that's really the point with this. Just talking, whatever we get into is what yeah. I'm happy. So when I have an opportunity to talk with, you know, an educated man, somebody who can give me a different perspective on this, we're going to get into it. So again, before, I, if I forget, I so appreciate your time and your knowledge being here with me on this podcast. So thank you. You make it so easy to be here. Thanks. Thank you again for, for the offer. Oh, no problem. So let's get right into it. We're talking Black masculinity. And I've been thinking about this question, I like for the week, because I'm like, I'm going to have somebody on intelligent, educated. <laughs> when we talk about Black masculinity, 
Should sexuality be part of that conversation? Does it need to be part of that conversation? Well, I, I got like, what an amazing question right in. I think that it depends on who's having the conversation, who's, who's sitting at the table. If it's only black men, actually no, the answer is yes. I think period, regardless of who's at the table. Um, I think the bigger conversation to me is defining black and then also defining masculinity, right? What, what does either one of those things mean? I'm constantly like completely clear and then also completely confused. Um, so uh, yeah, I think sexual, sexuality has to be a part of it, but we have to, I think, step back and define first before we can even get into that. Understood. When you talk about, you know, really defining it, I know, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but I grew up Long Island, but not the typical black male. Mm -hmm. I grew up, I'm an eighties kid, by the way. I okay. love the eighties. That's I'm my nineties. The mu oh, see the music, the decade, everything about it. So I grew up listening to eighties music. So I'm Def Leppard, I'm Bon Jovi, um, I'm all that stuff, which is not typically black. Uh -huh. So when you said we have to define black, I know growing up as a teen, I was confused about what black meant because I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in in terms of the shows I watched, the music I listened to, the girls who were interested in me. All these things didn't fit. So I was like, so at times I'm like, I'm not black enough to hang with the brothers. I'm not white enough to hang mm -hmm. with them. I was in this middle space. Yeah, And it wasn't even being about, and it's so good that you separated black and masculinity because it wasn't even about being a man. It was just about being black. That's just mm -hmm. where I started. And then there's so much more to it, but this is the kind of conversation I'm, I'm hoping to get into, but we're going to get into you and <laughs> through that, we're going to do it. If you've listened or watched this podcast, you know where I go with this. Men are the prize is the title. Prize is the word I use. Four of the letters represent characteristics that I think are good ones for a man to have. And we're gonna talk about those. The first letter in the word prize is P, the word is purpose. Mm. Reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So Rara, what is your purpose? Uh, my purpose is to be as authentically me as possible, regardless of where I am. Because I did not have any type of, um, real, real role model. Um, there were Black, Andre Leontale always comes to mind, but to me, he wasn't a real person. He was this larger than life TV personality, right? I, I could never engage him. Um, and this is also at a time when there was no internet or email or, you know, I, I didn't have access. So I, my purpose is to be like a real person, right? A real queer, gay, Black man who is accessible and real, uh, real meaning like tangible, but also real as in like, you wanna talk about it, let's talk about it, right? Um, but to also be able to like speak to multiple generations, like have a conversation with my uncle who was in his sixties, but also have a conversation with like 20 year olds, right? So I wanna be very, uh, my purpose is, to, is to, to be a part of the cultural lexicon um, that includes my identities, right? To be able to talk to Black men, to be able to talk to gay men, to be able to talk to gay Black men, 
to be able to talk to black artists, to be able to talk to black mental health professionals, right? So it's my purpose to um, just like be out here, right? Like, and be a part of what's going on so that there is a voice that perhaps my nephew, for instance, can be like, yeah, that's my uncle. I'm cool. Like, you know, like he understands the world and everything that's kind of going on. Um, to be as 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 beneficial and and intentional as possible. How long have you been authentically you? Oh, it's been uh, very recent. I would say in the last six years or so. Um, uh, during that time, I uh, I have an NDA, so I have to be very cute. I have to be very specific about how. Uh, some very unfortunate things happened at a place of business I was working at. Um, I went through a master's program. Um, uh, I am getting a divorce from a cis white man. Um, I, um, I've worked in higher education at this point. Um, there was a point in working in fashion, so I'm a career switcher. There was a point working in fashion where it was kind of easy to just kind of be. In fashion, it was easy. You're gay and you're Black. There's not a lot of us, but like, it's just kind of easy to be, right? But when I switched into human services, if you will, just no one like me. I, I've not engaged anyone who's like me. And so I'm constantly having to battle try to figure out what's appropriate for me and what's not appropriate for me. Um, and, and that con that's like a daily thing. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be, am I going to be like the black guy or am I just going to fall back? Right. And just like, let whatever happening happen. And I think I just made a conscious decision about five or six years ago. That I was just like, I'm not falling back anymore. If it, if it affects my life, it's probably going to affect my nephew's life at some point. And I can't have that. Like my life's already been difficult enough, you know? So um, it's it's not been that long. Okay. Okay. So with your, I guess your, I guess your discovery or your realization of your authentic self has, is code switching gone? Is that uh, out for of the picture? For the most part, I think. Um, so again, because I have intersectional identities, the black code switching is done. I, I never, I, I am me and all places. Um, there's times when my queerness or my gayness, I, I code switch a bit. Um, it's a very pick your battle type situation. Am I going to die on this hill? I'm not sure. Um, because most times, if there are peers that I'm working with, they are Black women and they are Black straight women. And so in order to push the conversation along, sometimes the black card can be more important than other parts of my identity. So the black code switching, that's gone. Um, but other parts of my identities um, sometimes still creep up. All right, well then let me ask, since you, um, you mentioned that you, you know, I guess you deal with a lot of black cis women, what is, is there, I'm sure there is, but what's the difference between the relationship, the back and forth when you deal with black women versus just black men in general? Let's not go into sexuality yet. So what's the, what's the vibe? Is there a significant difference? I, I think there is a difference. Funny enough, I got into this industry because I wanted to work with black men. 
And what I've noticed is that Black women flock to me. And I think that has to do with a safe space, um, understanding that I'm open and emotionally available and vulnerable and willing to engage um, uh, as a feminist, if you will, or or a a, a woman ally. Um, uh, and it, it often feels very easy. I grew up in a matriarchy as well. So I grew up with like one uncle, that's it, just surrounded by women. So the the conversation tends to be much easier. Um, with Black men, I find that there's a lot of education usually with regards to even being able to engage emotionality, um, language, um, understanding feelings and like where it is in the body. Um, so the conversations are just very different in that way. Um, when I'm, I know you said don't bring sexuality into it but immediately I start thinking about dating and I'm like oh, like you can't date a therapist if you are not emotionally available right and I keep getting hitting this roadblock and I'm like I'm dating black and brown men exclusively at this point and I keep hitting this roadblock and that um, that roadblock was um, the same uh, reason that clients would come to me uh, black male cis clients would come to me um, wanting to understand how to be emotional. Is it okay to be emotional? What does it look like? How does it sound? And all of that. And that's very different than the, than the women I work with uh, or worked with um, and the women that I um, uh, socialize with as well. All right. So matriarchal upgrade, upbringing, I think you mentioned. So you deal with, I guess, patients, black males, such... Are you able to notice a distinct difference between how you were raised, matriarchal, you know, other women versus these black men and how they were raised? Are there specific things that happened that you had happened for you that they didn't have happened for them or vice versa? Some happened for them, not for you. And then you can kind of see maybe why they're not emotionally available or why they don't understand the emotional language and such. What do you, what, what do you gauge from these conversations you have? Strangely enough, and, and maybe controversial, most of them had fathers that were in the picture, but the fathers were not emotionally available, uh, had no communication skills, sometimes were abusive, verbally, physically, emotionally. Um, that's unfortunately the through line. Um, I did not grow up with a father at all. And so while that in and of itself has um, trauma attached to it, I also wasn't exposed to toxic masculinity. Um, and so I also don't really know how to deal with toxic masculinity at times. And that's not to suggest that all black men or brown men have toxic masculinity issues, right? Um, but my experience in my personal life and my clinical life, um, the through line is unhealthy relationships with black father figures, um, which I think is just a, a strange, a strange and very different conversation than what is usually had, I think, in um, the broader cult cultural sense. It's usually that the black male is not there. Um, and that's just, that's, that's not the experience of conversation that I'm having. Makes me wonder what's, I know it's a bad thought, what's worse, not having dad at all versus having a bad dad there? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a sad thought. Um, 
now you said you don't re you haven't had to experience toxic masculinity per se but since you were around and were raised by a lot of women do you remember the experience of maybe them and maybe they just shielded you from it because you were a child but do you remember of experiences of these women dealing with it and maybe them telling you about it or seeing how they responded to it do you have some recollection of how you saw a toxic masculinity maybe through the eyes of the women that you were around? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, uh, my mom was married at one point um, and there were, I, I could hear things said, um, like I didn't fuck with him at all. He was just, I was like, mom, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, but I could hear things, right? Um, and there were times where I had to, we lived in an apartment building where my cousin lived downstairs and there were times where I had to like run down to my cousin's house and be like, what the fuck do we do? Like they're fighting. Um, I don't know how far that went because my mom is very, very kind of stern. And I think it got to a certain point where she was just like, you got to go. And he kind of disappeared and he's since died. But um, yeah, it, it was there. Um, it was always handled very secretly um, or it wasn't talked about. I remember one of my other aunts was in a very abusive relationship for a very, very long time. And the word abuse was used, but it wasn't really defined. Um, and it was always um, it was always talked about in the um, with regards to the husband. And, and I remember always thinking, well, how is Aunt? I won't say her name. How is how is she doing? Like, what is she doing? How is she handling this? Um, I remember thinking about that as a kid. So it was around. Um, but I think I was very shielded from it. I grew up with like incredibly strong women who were just like, no, go, time to go. Um, and a lot of the uh, women in my family um, were single for a lot of my childhood, or I just didn't have access to their relationships. So I didn't see what it looked like in any way at all. Um, and in fact, often did not even see their husbands. Um, because their husbands weren't like part of the family, if if that makes sense. Um, so it was there, but I was not directly kind of exposed to it. Okay. So not a lot of, I guess, men in the inner circle for you and family, but maybe they had men kind of in the, you know, outside of you. How does that affect your perception of men growing up? And I guess eventually you being a gay man, how does that affect you seeing them as just men in general, but then as potential significant others? What do you think about that as you grow? Uh, it's confusing because I don't know what a man should should look like or sound like. Um, uh, you know, I understood from, I also grew up very Christian, so I understood what was appropriate, um, like, in the Christian viewpoint, but I was also an artist from a very small age and hung out with a lot of very creative artistic people. And so there was a very big um, difference between kind of my personal life, uh, no, my family life and my personal life. I was being told very strictly that men are this, but in my personal life, I was seeing men wear makeup and kiss each other and and drag and and so it was very confusing because I didn't have access to a man that I've respected and and engaged often. Um, I don't want to downgrade my uncle. My uncle was there. My mom's twin brother, um, 
but he was very gentle and very quiet. Um, and my mom is not those things. So he kind of fell back in the same way that I fell back. And I don't remember having a lot of access to him. And when I did, the conversations weren't deep at all. Um, and so in accessing men at an older age, both professionally and personally, I just, I'm constantly, it's a learning experience. And like, I've never done this before. How does this work? How do we talk? How do we not talk? How do we touch each other? How do we not touch each other? Like, I, it's a learning experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know growing up and just in general, when I hear men being talked about where I think, and, and it obviously has a lot to do with sexuality and just being straight or cis is that men are very simple creatures. We, we just need, we need food, we need sex and we need to be left alone. So in my head, I've always imagined, and I don't know if I don't, and I don't agree with it entirely, but we men are so simple. I guess in terms of the relationship and the woman that's in our lives or whatever, just feed them, fuck them, leave them alone, <laughs> that type of thing. And the more I've grown up, the more I've recognized that's so, so far from the truth because we're still trying to figure out what it means to be a man. So people can think that we're simple because you have no concept of what being a man is. Mm -hmm. it's, we're it's, not talking about it. We're yeah. not offering well, no, <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're not helping the situation. Yes, we all know what man is. Don't ask me. I'm not telling you. And that's that's really what yeah. it is. So we leave you in the dark, but are probably upset that you don't really understand us. So we've got this, eh, I don't know, what do we do? But I, I had a question. I forgot. It'll come back to me. But <laughs> I'm loving, I, there's, it's interesting to hear just raise, you know, growing up, don't know what a man is. Now I'm a man, I'm an adult, and now I have to kind of know what a man is, or I'm creating the yeah. idea of what a man is. Now, I'm, whatever I am is it. So it's almost not a bad thing, I think. To a degree, you grew up, you didn't have these parameters that you had to stay into. You could just be you, mm -hmm. because at that point, maybe you didn't know any better. And I think that's interesting and might even be the better way. I don't have it, to it, be just like that book. It know? wasn't easy. Um, I, I like the way that you're, I, I love the way that you're painting it because I've never thought of it in that way. I, I was very queer and that, that is to suggest that I was very non-normative. Has nothing to do with my sexuality. I was an artist, right? Artists and queer are the same to me, right? There's, okay. you're outside of the norm, if you will. So I was very that. Um, and I think that that was conflated with my sexuality, um, and so it, there was a there was a, a confusion between like what it is to be a man and what it is to be gay. And those two things don't really need to be together at all. Um, mm -hmm. So um, the man thing, I, I love the way that you're saying it, um, um, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to not be like mask or, or whatever that means or or wear what all the other boys were wearing or doing what all the other boys were doing. Um, um, while it, it, there was freedom, I didn't fit in, um, which which made me a, a target for both my, I think my family and my peers. That's a good point. You're free to be, but with whom, with who? So you can be who you are, but you essentially are alone in your freedom, which is not comfortable. I'd rather be kind of put me in a box at least have people with me in there right yeah oh, wow. That's a 15 year old wants to fit in wants yeah. to have friends doesn't yeah. want to be the weirdo you know yeah. mm -hmm. 
That's all we've got. When we're that age, the social thing is it. Who am I friends with? What sports team am I on? I mean, who likes me? Who doesn't mm-hmm. like me? Who am I going to prom with? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's just boys. So for me, the more I've had these discussions with men, and like I said, I wanted this to be for black men, but at the beginning of this, I just had white men, just regular men talk to me because a lot of the issues that we have, all men deal with in some form or fashion. Yeah. But to me, I've got this idea. So just being a, just being a boy, 15, let's say, sis, and I want to date that girl, but she doesn't like me. Those guys are football players. They're big. They always beat me up. Um, I've got all these things. I'm just all the social stuff I'm trying to deal with. So I can't even fit in. And that's just being a regular white kid. Mm-hmm. Then add on black. Now I'm black. And chances are I'm not in a school where there's a lot of people who look like me. So chances are it's a lot of white kids who there's a subtle bit of racism, whatever, or they won't talk to me, whatever. So add socially, I'm struggling. Now I'm black and I'm struggling. Then if you put gay on top of it, like how do you deal? So we, yeah. it, it's not a surprise that we have kids, teens who are struggling with depression, with mm-hmm. gender. It, there's so much going on mm-hmm. that, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I don't imagine you deal with teens, you deal with more men, but ha, do you deal with that? Or I'm sure you see it when you talk to black men and, you know, and adults. Yeah. It's, it doesn't go away. It, I, I, I don't work. I tend, I don't tend to work with anyone under 18 because there's, regulations that I just I don't want to involve myself with understood but even if I'm working with a 50 year old man it's like I'm working with a 16 year old because we're dealing with being all of these identities and never really being able to figure out where you fit in like I'm still having the same issues now and trying to figure out my professional setting for instance right where do I fit in where do I want to be where will I feel the most safe that's the same conversation a 15 year old has, right? And when you when you have uh, when you are male, when you identify as, as as a man and you identify as black, it's just never easy. It's just like, where do I go? I had a couple of black friends, and I'll make one correction on what you said. It wasn't subtle racism. I grew up in Maryland. I was called nigger. I don't know how many times. I was called nigger faggot eight times in my life so far. Like these things, they weren't subtle at all. So, you know, have that same, you know, trajectory that you just had, but take out the idea of subtle. It's really about like, where do I fit in? Where am I going to be safe? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, unfortunately, right? Like being a therapist allows me access to other people's voices and uh, in certain parts of, 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 the Western world, um, primarily thinking of the South, growing up black and and male, and then adding in gay is exceptionally difficult and exceptionally dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. So it's you know again, fifteen or thirty five, it's the same conversation really because those identities don't go away. I. I see to me, I, I, I hear you talking about it and I, it, it, I'm really just kind of, I'm falling back into high school. I really am in hearing mm-hmm. you talk about this to me. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. There's a, is there, to me, I feel like there's a difference between not fitting in in places and then not being wanted. 
Like mm. you were talking about how you, because I said subtle, because I grew up with subtle racism, but because I, New York, Long Island, we're liberal, blah, 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 whatever, versus Maryland, where they don't give a damn. So it's, <laughs> I just didn't fit because I wasn't cool with those kids. And I don't think they were, versus these people don't, they want to make it clear that you're not allowed. And there's, there's, I, I, there's a difference there, right? I'm not reading into that, right? Oh, I think I think there is a I think in you bringing it up there is a difference and us com perhaps comparing our experiences I I think that there is a difference um um a, a very big difference and I I appreciate you even suggesting that it's not that I that I wanted to fit in it's that I was just literally looking for safety like right. where am I allowed mm -hmm. right as a black man period but then as a gay man period yeah. right like mm -hmm. Both of those together, that's not a conversation. I got to pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of discussions about the word safe. And since primarily this is a podcast for men and Black men, which is the plan, safe for us has, the, has an entirely different meaning than it would for women. I just want to be somewhere where I'm safe enough to be me mm -hmm. and to be around people who will accept it. And I'm like, I talk to women and safe is, I don't want to get attacked. I don't want to yeah. get raped. I want to feel safe walking down the street while as a man, I don't, I, I mean, it's still there because we are, you know, we're more, we're victims of violent crime more than women actually. But the idea that safe for me means just, I can talk and whatever I say is not going to be used against me. I can speak freely. It's so interesting. Just Life experience is so different. And a simple word is safe. It means so many different things to so many different people. I, I want to be safe as a Black man. Mm -hmm. I What does it mean to be safe as a queer Black man? Like, mm -hmm. it's there's so much going on. And how we handle it, how we deal with life, how we deal with these experiences really just kind of shapes us. And I think of that because I'm a stay-at-home father. I've got four. Mm -hmm. So for me, how I deal with all of this I'm pushing it out. I'm sending it to my kids. I got to deal with this right. I don't want to send a bunch of as scared kids or unprepared kids into the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I got to give them safety here. I got to give my three daughters safety physically and emotionally too. And then I got to give my 18 year old son safety. Speak however you'd like, but physically also. It's this, the better I am. And I tell this people all the time, the better I am, me pulling my mask down first the better i am here the better my wife my kids everybody around me it's this process it's a bit of pressure yeah to being a good man but being a good black man because we affect everybody around we us. do and this this is why i wanted to this is why i i was very strategic and wanting to work with black men again i'm shook that it's black women that come to me but my idea was if i can get to black men and help them understand um, how to be more emotional creatures, how to talk about things openly and honestly, and that's a trickle-down effect. The women who touch them will be different. Their children will be different. Their lovers in general will be different. Perhaps their parents will be different. I just, I, I saw the Black man, I saw it in myself, and like, I, I, if I touch so many people. If I can be better, um, perhaps they will be better. And there is it's new to me, this idea of like mental health, medical uh, success of Black men, if you will. I don't think um, we are a space that is prioritized. 
and so everything you just said, right? Like if I am better, everyone around me will be better. That's really what this is. That's why this this podcast came along. I like and I and not I I think I have the same mission you with a more professional face to it. I just wanted to get men talking. We're not alone mm-hmm. in a lot of the struggles and issues and concerns that we have. But since we don't talk, I think we feel like we're alone. So because I don't know another black man who who simply was depressed because the first girl he wanted to date broke his heart in high school and he didn't have a dad to say, I don't know, am I good enough? Is any girl going to like me? Is any boy going to like me? Whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. and it starts so small. It's these little Mm -hmm. things, these little struggles in high school and then going on. And then I don't have confidence in the 10th grade. Then I'm not going to have a confidence in that first interview. I'm not going to have confidence when I try to talk to somebody in the bar. It's, it's this just progression. And I'm like, I wanted to get men. I wanted to talk, get it out. You are not strange. You are a man just like me. I went through that same shit a few years ago. Here's what I did to get through it. How did you deal with this? Really? That's what you did? Oh my God. 99% of the issues I feel like us men have are solved if we would sit down and listen to each other and just talk. Talk. Open your mouth. Just what happened? I don't have to give you an answer. Just tell me. We don't have to solve anything. We could mm-hmm. just say it. Mm-hmm. So this is good. We continue with the next letter in the word prize. It is R. The word is resilience. Mm. The capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. So you've mentioned a few things, but see if we can come up with something else or you can kind of stick with what you talked about. Can you think of a particular situation, something that happened to you where you discovered a resilience that you didn't know that you had? Uh, I I think it's when I started to move into human services spaces. Um, I discovered the resilience of like self-care. Um, and these are all buzzwords, right? Like mm-hmm. self-care meaning like I am literally taking care of myself my physical self, my emotional self, my psychological self, because there is no one else in the room and or rooms expansive, right? HR, no one looks like me. No one has my best interest at heart. And so that has to kick in really quickly when you understand you got to pay rent and you got to figure out this works, this workspace. You understand, you, I figure out, I figured out really quickly how to have really awkward and direct conversations gently because white people be fragile, fragile as fuck. And I'm like, wait, 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 pause, 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 pause. This is not about you. Mm-hmm. This is about me and the sea of white people around me. And I'm terrified and your policies are not working for me as a black man. And I would like to discuss that. And I found myself so awkwardly initially doing that. And then it just became easier and easier and easier and easier um, to the point where like I created the name Rara for a very specific reason and it's turned into something else. It's turned into this idea of like, there's, there's, a, there's a, a direct aggression to it. And aggression doesn't have to be violent, right? It just has to be intentional. Like, rah, rah, rah. like you, you're not doing what I need you to do you keep giving me bullshit answers or you keep giving me answers that are not actually defining how we're moving forward with change. And so rah, 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 like I'm going to stay on you. Um, 
And that is a resiliency that I don't think I'm learning that other people don't have, um, whether it be because of privilege, me being a man and be, me being a big man, right? Um, or because because I'm black, I, I don't know, because I will play that angry black man card real quick. You're already gonna think I'm black, so I'm gonna, or, or angry, so I'm gonna utilize that to like, get what I need. And it's, this is usually in professional spaces. I am very professional focused at this point because I just, I'm not seeing us. And I live in fucking New York City. I'm not seeing us and it's weird. It's weird to have a business meeting with all white people. Yeah. It's just fucking weird. Why, why are we still doing this? So I'm very like focused on professionalism um, and the resiliency like needed in professional spaces. I'll also suggest that I don't love the world word resilient, right? Especially in professional spaces because it, it connotes that like you are not going to change, that I have to figure out how to take up the slack and take care of myself in a system that's clearly not made for me. I think resiliency with regards to emotionality, sure. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your non-binary partner breaks up with you. You need to be resilient to get through your life, right? As an adult, talk about adults. But in professional spaces, the word resiliency, it hits me wrong. It, yeah. it makes that. me... It makes me twitch a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. And I really thought, but I never thought about that, but I can understand it's a level of kind of accepting what's happening as opposed to fixing what's happening. Like, what do I do about it as opposed to how do I deal with it? So mm -hmm. I understand, I, ex I understand exactly what you mean. Um, that's, that's good. Do you have any suggestions for black men who kind of understand what you're going through, who are in professional spaces and find themselves alone, sequestered in these spaces and don't see her, uh, don't see a familiar face. Yeah. How do you suggest we deal? Um, I suggest that you have as many conversations in writing as you possibly can. Tea, like real tea. If that meeting can be recorded, if you are on Zoom and that meeting can be recorded, please do that. Or get it in an email. Um, outside of that, I would say, find the people in your space that you can trust as much as you can. You literally can't be an island, right? You cannot do it alone. Um, so be kind, be, be open and honest and, and find those people who have your back to a certain extent. Because mm -hmm. you will need it. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So you talk, and I apologize for cutting you off. Um, I talk to a lot of men and I'm, there's two questions that I ask and I usually sit, wait for the end, but you kind of broached it. Black men, I don't know if we have our tribes or our group of friends as much as we, we used to. Mm -hmm. So personally, just friends. So I can extend that to the whole business side. Do I have a, do I have a team of people that I trust in a professional setting? But to a degree, outside of that, we men, we go through things alone. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about anything, but we don't have people to speak to about mm -hmm. things. So that's a, a weird way to segue into Black men and friendship. Um, how important is, per, in a personal sense, 
mm-hmm. is having black for men, black men, black friends, black male friends in your life? How does it help you? And how does it hurt when you don't have? Uh, it, it, such a good question. Thank you. Um, uh, it is 100% paramount to me to have black friends, black male friends, specifically for me, black male queer friends, um, because there's just, it's the same thing about being a black queer therapist, right? Like there's just a certain baseline that you just don't have to explain. Mm-hmm. You're just you. It just can be. You can just cut up. You can just say whatever you want. There's no like PC-ness or like hurting anyone else or or making sure everyone feels comfortable. There's there's like a baseline of just like, we generally have the same experience, let's go. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's something I've been working on for like the last five or six years in the same time frame that I've like made this switch about like, this is who I am. This is this is how I'm going to live my life. Um, my friend base tends to be white women because those who be in the spaces I work at, um, or or who who are in the spaces that I go to, whether it be dancing or drinking or what, whatever it is, um, and I I crave um, having more black gay male friends. What I will suggest. <laughs> is that I am running into the same issue where um, there is a lack of emotionality. There's a lack of presentness. There is a lack of like not being on the phone when we are hanging out. You know, these things are very frustrating to me. And I think generational situation. Um, So it's, it's not the easiest thing. I will say that I made an amazing black gay male friend at the job that I'm currently at. And what a fucking blessing. His name is Bernie. And like, since day one, we were just like together, like period. There was no conversation about why we liked each other so much. We were just together. And in fact, um, I I saw him this morning. I was out on the walk with him this morning. And it was, my day started out right. Like I knew, I I saw him and then I knew I was going to see you. And like, it's a day of like black men. And that makes me feel good. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel affirmed. Um, you know? No, oh, yeah. I really, I really understand that because that's kind of my experience is this. I grew up in New York. I'm a New Yorker through and through, but I live in Florida now. But before that, I met my wife in New Jersey and we moved to Florida. So we've been here a little less than two years. And stay-at-home dad of four means that my life is wrapped around these kids. Almost my identity is I'm taking care of them. I don't have a lot of friends out here. Mm-hmm. And this, and so this, sometimes I want to get away from these kids because, you know, I love them and all, but damn, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just got to go. And I would, I don't have that group, that tribe to be like, you know what, these kids, the parent-teacher conferences, this kid got to go to ballet, blah, 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 whatever. Yo, let's go get a drink, whatever. I don't have that here yet. And it's that process. It is difficult to kind of find some people because I imagine, I hope to eventually, I have family here, cousins and such, but I'd like to not always have to lean on family or something. I'd like to have a friend 
you know, a father, black father be like, you know, you know what this kid did yesterday, blah, 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 whatever. That <laughs> exactly. <laughs> require any, I don't have to build a foundation. I could just walk, yo, yo, check it out. So she did such and such. She's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and when you don't have it, you understand it because yeah. I'm, that's kind of my struggle right now. And I'm, you know, I'm building that and I've got friends and doing the podcast and obviously meeting you. And I, if nothing else, even if this went sideways, I have another black friend and I'm so mm -hmm. glad that we got to talk, but I understand personally the need, the craving for craving. somebody who understands your experience, who can talk to you about the experience. I'd love to hear somebody else. So it's not like me just mentioning about it. Like he went through that shit yesterday. He knows what I'm talking about. And it, I think it's important, but even more important for Black men. Because just at, at times, I feel like just life is tough. Just living, just getting up at my house and driving the car and making it back home. That you triggered me in driving the car. No. <laughs> like, that's 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 a lot for me. I haven't yeah. driven a car in, oh my God, I don't know, crazy. five years. Oh, my goodness. And one of, and one of that is, is because of, like, that shit's hard. Like, no, I don't want to be in a car on, no. No, but you having that, you just saying that, like instantly, I get it instantly. And I got to explain that to other people. Yep. And that's it. And that's it. And I think some people take that. And okay, some white people might take that wrong. It's like me, one of the black therapists, it's not a slight to you. What it is, is that it's just somebody who understands. Like I could really be like, listen, my point was at one. I got here 115. I was at the barbershop. And I was supposed to be seen at 12.15. It wasn't until 12.30. Like, there was, you know, you'd be like, you know what? You shouldn't have been late, but I understand why. All you like, have to say is I was at the barbershop. And it's I'd be the like, understand. And like, there's just some things that not everybody gets. And I think people will take that negatively. And it's not negative. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a whole other conversation. My wife has a partner, has people that she works with and who at times I've heard several people say to her, you know what, I just don't see color. And I really want to just say, that's not good. Not you're, good. Not, you're not defending <laughs> yourself. You're not making your case because you don't see color. Like, like, no, then you don't see my wife. You don't see me. You don't see your black friend or your Hispanic friend. You don't see them. You just, we're not a monolith, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're different. So it's it's weird. And again, there's so many issues, just being black, then being gay, then being a dad, then being a businessman, then being all much, just trying to navigate through life without just letting it tear you down. It's tough. It's very tough. I feel, I would like to affirm what you just said and validate you. It is tough. You are not crazy. Thank you. <laughs> it is so tough. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, why do I feel like this? And I'm like, oh yeah, black man. You exactly you, mm -hmm. you don't mm -hmm. get that unless you like just like vibe with another black man for a moment you're just mm -hmm. like okay mm -hmm. i'm okay i'm not okay but i'm okay like i'm right. not mm -hmm. I've, I've really come to appreciate something as not even trivial as simple as just like the black nod when i'm walking somewhere and i see a brother that nod there's more mm -hmm. to it than just the head snap it's like yeah brother i see you Mm -hmm. I know you about to go do something crazy or you just came for something crazy. And that mm -hmm. man understands and I see him too. It's, it's so interesting how brotherhood is a really important, such an important thing. Um, I'm going to skip the I in the word prize because we're going to come back to that. The next <laughs> letter in the word prize is Z. The word is zeal. Enthusiastic devotion. I love that word. 
taking away, I guess, family, significant others, relationships, and the work that you do. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to dig a little deeper. Taking all those things and putting them to the side, what are you enthusiastically devoted to? Oh, gosh. I think reading. <laughs> um, I I love reading. I've always loved reading. Uh, when I was very young, reading was very difficult for me. And so it's something that I did often to practice. Um, how about I change? I'm sorry. I do love reading. I love books. Okay. And I think there is a distinct, there is a, a big difference. Reading is fantastic. I don't love reading, for instance, on like a Kindle. That sucks. Agreed. Agreed. Or on, on the computer. I did a lot of that for my master's program. Look, I need I'm, to hold a book. I gotta hold it. I gotta smell it. Yes. Books have a, a scent. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I love them as objects, as art objects, but I also love what they contain, what you can learn. I can learn how to create a Korean buffet of food, or I can learn about African history. I can do anything I want with books. They fascinate me. Um, I'm really enthusiastic about books. Sometimes I just go to the bookstore on weekends and I buy a book. Um, I love books. I love them. I'm they make me so happy. And I think in loving books, the zeal is, is there for like any and everything. You know, what book? Because that's the question. Like, okay, books, what book? Is it a poem book? Is it a recipe book? Is it a magical book? Um, books. I love books so, love so, so it. very much. I love it. In my 20s, when I was still kind of all over the place, um, I used to work at the Barnes & Noble in Lincoln Center. It's mm -hmm. no longer there. They tore it down, which is disappointing to me. But I worked in that Barnes & Noble for a few years. I was in the music department. I was in the basement. <laughs> um, but I, I, I loved that place. It's just a big... I love libraries. And I take my kids there. But the Barnes & Noble, I love the idea of just seeing people sitting around with a book they probably just discovered or probably a book that they've known for years mm -hmm. and they're reading it for the 50th time. It's books, they carry so much simple, but there's so much. A book can mean one thing to you and can be a lifesaver to somebody else. Yep. Books are, oh, I loved it. And while I worked in the music department, because I think that's my true love, I'm a music, I'm an old soul music person, but I loved, you're right. The smell of a book. I love opening a book. I hated the dog earring because that's just disrespectful to the pages. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of a really good book. And I'm working on that with my kids because my mom made me read and I read and it took me, I fought it for a while. But when I finally got into reading, it was just a problem. And I want my kids to, I, if, if the problem for you is reading too many books, I'll take it. Mm, so yeah. I understand, so I understand your joy and how much you enjoy books. Um, your current favorite book is? Um, I am reading a book called Boys Come First, I believe it's called. Um, and I think we talked about one of the books that, uh, what was it? All Boys Aren't Blue. Right. Um, mm -hmm. That was part of a book haul. I've not read it. I have no idea when I will read it, but it's a beautiful book. Okay. Um, uh, but um, I'm reading a lot of books, <clears throat> a lot of books about uh, Black gay men. Okay. Um, and this book is so funny and it's so, oh, talk about like 
just jumping right in and being like, oh, this book is written for me. Okay. The language, uh, the experiences, I'm like, this is me. And it's just a pleasure to read and it's funny and it's kind of vulgar. Um, it's very real. Um, I'm pretty sure it's fiction, but it's just like, get out of my head. This is, this is, this is a good book. I'm in, I am entertained. That's, good. Uh, that's good. boys, boys come first. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I'll be at some point. Cause you, you did a post and I think you mentioned those books and I think I have them already and I'm going to read them. And hopefully at some point we can talk about them because I I, I, I'd be interested because it's not going to be coming. It's not going to hit me the way it's going to hit you. Because mm -hmm. so, so I'm interested to see, you know, when I think about it, what I get from it versus what you get from it. So definitely we can talk about that. Um, it's so interesting. I haven't thought about Barnes and Noble in years. <laughs> oh my God. So long ago. Oh, wow. I mean, we, this, the strand is still here. What is it called? Jackson McNally bookstores are also just like beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm obsessed with books. I am literally obsessed with books. I love it. I love it. The last letter in the word prize, not the last letter in this little mantra we're doing, but the last letter is E. The word is expectation. A strong, oh. belief. <laughs> A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. I try to find a different way to ask about this word with each man that I speak to. So for you, how, I don't know how to get to this. What do you expect if we could get Black men to where we need them to be in society and how we deal with each other and how we deal with gay men and how we deal with women? What is your expectation? How long do you think legitimately it would take for us to get close to have a better understanding of our environment, of our people around us, whether it's the people who look just like us or the women around us? or the men who look like us, but like men or anything. What's your expectation about how long it's going to take for us to get to a better place? Um, that's such a vast question. I no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I immediately know I'm very appreciative of you asking it because it makes me think I don't, I don't know. And I'm pond, I'm like, I'm, I'm coming up with the answer. I think that it would take a generation. And I guess I'll define that as like the time you become kind of a sexual being until the time you define yourself as an adult. And I'm thinking that is somewhere between if if the gen if the time frame is like somewhere between 15 and like 45, right? So 30 years. 30 years of intentionally talking to the generation be before me and the generation that I'm in and the generation in front of me, because all three have to work in tangent in order for, I think, a giant cultural shift to happen. It can't just be like, oh, these kids are out here doing it. No, great for them. What about you? And what about your grandfather? Because grandpa's been saying crazy shit. Your uncle is saying crazy shit. We can't have the like, super open-minded 20-year-old at the Thanksgiving table and the grandfather or the uncle who's saying crazy like that's not we we all have to be intentionally working on ourselves 
and also working together um, to define what's toxic and what's not, asking people how they want to be treated, um, and then engaging that data. Um, having conversations within our family to ensure that like everyone's saying things that are appropriate and doing things that are appropriate. Um, I think that takes time. I think that takes a generation. Do you think a generation needs a monumental event for it to happen? Do they need a million man march? Do they need a march on Washington? Do they need something to kind of push them? Or is that something that maybe just with time we kind of find and we go in that proper direction? No, I think, okay, so this is when this is when uh, me be, being a, like a human behaviorist comes in, right? Like humans need a push. This story has, I think, been written for so many times where something uh, cataclysmic happens and then humanity comes together, right? I think that humans are just kind of blind to what's going on unless something directly affects them very, very deeply. So um, I'm not sure if it's a march. I think it's what becomes before the march, right? So I'm thinking like it wasn't BLM. BLM is not going to change. For me, it was George Floyd. Like I I can I can like remember him and what was going on and what people around me were saying and it wasn't matching up with my feelings and how I um needed to be seen and understood um and what that did to propel me forward. Um, it wasn't the, the, it wasn't the protest afterwards that almost felt too late. It was the immediacy of like watching this person die. I'm thinking of like Martin Luther King getting assassinated. I'm thinking of Rodney King in the nineties. It's not what happens after it's the person. So I think there's unfortunately always a martyr that's needed, um, in order for, people to understand this can happen to you like right now you can do with that what you would like but this is this is what happened to this person and we're all watching it happen and it affects you or it doesn't that's true yeah crack wasn't a problem until in the 80s and such but when it got to the suburbs and such then we are in an epidemic now mm -hmm. drugs are a problem. It's got to hit the masses or it's got to be in your face. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can understand that entirely. Um, the We're going to go back to that letter in the middle of prize. The letter is I, and it doesn't have a word. It represents mm -hmm. the man I'm speaking to. So in this case, obviously it's you. So when we take off the shackles, the titles, all the stuff. So um, college graduate, author, just all around awesome black man walking around this world. When you take all these shackles off of you at your core, by yourself, who are you? A stoner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 this like hippie country guy who wants to like walk around in the barefoot with a joint hanging out of his mouth, okay. making jokes. Okay. Um I'm also like a crazy romantic. Right. Like I would love to be doing all of those things with like a really smart, kind person mm -hmm. with me. Um, strip it all away. And I'm just like a clown. 
I'm, I'm a kid. I will always be a kid. I hear you. That's authentically you. Yeah. It's it, it's always about curiosity with me. Like, why? Tell me why. Not in a pushy way, but in like a, I'm curious. Tell me why. Um, I, I'm a kid. That's it. That's really it. And <laughs> as a dad, when I hear you say that, I'm like, that's, that's so great as an adult. As did my seven-year-old daughter who asked me why about every little thing. It's kind of annoying. But for mm -hmm. you, it's charming. For her, it's, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, give her time, right? Maybe nope. she doesn't understand why she's asking that why now. Um, she's, oh, she's so intelligent. And <laughs> as in a, and it, it, I cringe when she asks, but there's always pride <laughs> in it because she's smart. She wants to know everything. And I'll take mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for answering the questions in the prize mantra. I appreciate that. Few last bit of questions. These are the typical, you know, deep podcast type questions, but kind of my spin on them. So two, no, three more. First, what are you afraid of that you can not control? <laughs> I am deathly ill, like deathly terrified of live fish. Is that the direction you were going in or like something more emotional? It's whatever you want it to be. But I never really uh, thought about that. <laughs> but hey, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of fish. Uh, like They are just alien. I don't want to be around them. Um, I'm terrified of police. Like, Valid. there are mad police in New York City right now. They are everywhere in like groups. I am terrified. I, I cross the street. I turn around. I like loop. So that I'm just like not near them. Police are terrifying. Um, and then I'll give you a third one. How about that? Nice three fish police. And um, I'm terrified I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Um, and I there was a point where I was just like, I don't fucking care about no dude, whatever. But now I'm just like, no, like, I would like to be in a relationship. And I'm like, that's not necessarily just my choice. <laughs> I can't control this. And I'm terrified that I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. What does that mean? What do I do? How do I engage? How do I remain happy? Hmm. Um, not that I think a man will make me happy, but he can definitely help yeah. with the happiness. <laughs> no, like... So yeah, <laughs> fish, police, and singleness? Fish, police, and lack of companionship or yes, of being lonely as opposed to alone. There's different, I guess, different ways of looking at it. You're picking up exactly what I wanted, what I was, which you did so much better. It's, I love being alone, but I don't want to be lonely. Mm -hmm. um, and it's giving lonely right now. Oh, okay. I hear you. It's there. I yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. When you were talking about the police and how you respond to it, what hit to me is you treat you treat the police the way white women treat black men. Mm -hmm. You can't mm -hmm. get away from them. Oh, look, there's three of them over there. Let me cross the street. Cross the street. I'm in my car, locked up. Let me lock that door. Here comes them black men again. I just, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think how you respond. Um, What's funny though, sorry to cut you off. What's funny is, so my, my area has been become exceptionally gentrified and I treat white women in the same way that I've been treated. So when white women are walking towards me at night, I cross the street, I grab my bags. I don't look at them. 
I'm like, I don't know what y'all are going to do. Y'all are wild. But I kind of want to do that on purpose just to see what they, and I see them coming and I want them to see see the fear and see me run across the street. Like and zip up my bag, grab my child a little tighter and say, oh my God, look, look at that white woman over there. You never, you don't trust them. You know what they're going to do to you. I, I, yeah. I, I do it all the time. Sometimes I play a game where I'm like every single time a white person's coming towards me, I cross the street. So if you, if you stand at the end of the block and watch me, all I'm doing is this the whole time. Wow. Wow. Okay. What are you afraid of that you can control? Uh, what I'm afraid of that I can control is that uh, I can control what my narrative is by offering it. Um, I am scared of people thinking something of me without having any information about me. And so I can control the information that I offer. And I think that's why I'm so incredibly, uh, I, I don't love the word vulnerable. I am very human. I'm like, I am a human and these are my experiences. If they are, uh, if they seem aggressive to you or if they seem um, uh, unfair or perhaps um, um unrealistic so many people dm me and just like is this real and i'm like yes like people say and do crazy things to me all the time um so i have the opportunity of not hiding those things of saying hey this happened and this is what i was thinking or this is this is how i processed it i i wrote something the other day that was about asking white people to please stop being white um and I got a question about that, about like, what is this? And I was just like, some this these, this was my thought process when someone was doing something to me the other day, saying and doing something to me that I couldn't get away from. And I was just like, can you please fucking stop being white right now? That was my thought process. And I wrote it down and I put it on LinkedIn. So I can, I have the availability to control what I put out, understanding that it may stop me from getting opportunities or being engaged in a certain way. Um, but it is the little bit of control that I have. All right. This was fantastic talking to you. This was everything I expected and more. This is part one of a long as discussion, <laughs> I'd like to think. Uh, it, this is like I feel like I got a friend, I got a book club member, I got we got we have what's I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, where can people find you? Whether it's social media, wherever they want to see your thoughts, where are you most available for people? Uh at this very moment, it is at LinkedIn. Uh on LinkedIn. Um, my name there is Rara Rollins. That's R-A space R-A. Uh, last name is Rollins, R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Um, I try to post at least once a week. It usually is closer to three or four times a week. Um, and um, I'm also working with a friend on a very short video that will probably need to be put on a personal website. So that's to come. Um, still trying to kind of figure all this out. Um but you can't find me anywhere else. I'm not on LinkedIn or I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I am not on Facebook. I am not on TikTok. I was on all those things. 
and I decided to exit for my mental health and well-being. So LinkedIn it is. <laughs> Sup, I hear you. And make sure that you make your mental health the single most important thing. Um, this was a great conversation. Again, I'm so thankful that I was able to talk to you. Aside from a great episode, I've got a friend for years to come. Yes. <laughs> speak. I will end with that. Black men, men in general, as you watch and listen, it can be difficult. And I spoke of that in this episode that is difficult to find friends, to find a group, to find a tribe. But make sure you do that. Put the mm -hmm. effort out. You need people who are like-minded, same experiences, same struggle as you. It makes life easier when you can be reminded that you're not alone in this. This struggle is a universal one. We go through it all. And if you go through it with somebody, we go through it together. It's so much easier. So much easier. So much easier. Thank you to you, Ra Ra. Thank you to Kristen, who does my intro, the voice that starts <laughs> the podcast, the one that ends it. Finally, to you men, never, ever, ever, ever forget that you are the man and you are prize. Have a great week. I'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Men Are The Prize podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Harvey on the gram at Men of Zealous Nature or on Twitter at Men Zealous. Have a great week and never forget, you are a man and you are the prize.